In this episode, I sit down with Maxie Lilly, who has refined her business to such a point she's become the listing specialist for a specific neighborhood. As well, we talk about how she approaches her listings with the design aspect in order to sell them quickly. As always, I'm your referral partner out of San Francisco, Sean Kunkler. Thanks for joining me today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I am so appreciative that I was able to coax you into doing this. I know this is outside of your your wheelhouse, so I appreciate you and I appreciate your time. Well, you're very welcome. The big reason I wanted to talk to you is my clients actually found one of your one of the one of your listings, fell in love with it, wrote an offer. Unfortunately, they didn't get it, but you were just such a genuinely just such a pro. And immediately I was like, I, I want to have this, this amazing agent on my podcast. Thank you. To basically pick your brain and learn and, and for others to learn. Um, but let's, let's kind of, we're going to jump around a little bit. Your superpower in this, in this game of real estate is a hundred percent with drilling down and becoming the market expert in a specific neighborhood and just completely dominating it. And I know that's like years in the making and it's nuanced and there's layers to it, but that's really where I want to push this conversation today. So let's start with how did you pick that neighborhood? Easy. I I live in the neighborhood um, and I have so for, gosh, 25 years, I've owned property here in Rockridge, which is the neighborhood in Oakland where I live. Um, and I had, I, I'm on my third career since I've even lived in the neighborhood. So I've done other things professionally prior to real estate. So by the time I swung around to deciding to get my license, I, you know, was on my second property living here in Rockridge and just was so enamored with the lifestyle and the architecture, the community here. And, um, it just felt like what I already knew, um, it was just a natural decision to want to um, sell the homes that I walk by every single day. Um, at the time, I had young kids who were just coming into the public school system here. And so I was meeting more families and meeting other people that live in the neighborhood. And um, I was just very comfortable in this community and um, felt like it was one that I would thrive in if I were serving them from a sales standpoint. Also, I will say that I, my prior career was I was an interior designer and landscape designer. So I had already been living and working in Rockridge with residential homeowners, doing projects for their homes and their gardens. So it was somewhat of a, you know, an, uh, an adjacent business that I was in and people already knew me for that skill set. And um, so pivoting over to real estate, I had a little bit of a leg up there, so to speak, because People always, you know, had already associated me with sort of home design, landscape design, improvement to their residential properties. So, but really in the end, it's that the urban hum of this neighborhood is very near and dear to me and feels actually very familiar to me. Um, A little anecdote on Rockridge. I was living in San Francisco when I first came to the West Coast for about 15 years and I first discovered Rockridge when I came over here to take a night class at CCA. It was CCAC back then. 
And I parked my car off campus and walked up. I'll never forget. I walked up Shafter Avenue and was looking around at all these sweet little bungalows with front setbacks and cute gardens. And then I took a right on College Avenue and walked up to the campus. And I, for the first time in California, I felt like I am home. This is my home. And it felt somewhat similar to where I'd grown up in Philadelphia. So just that familiarity chord that it struck with me all the way to now having lived here, you know, 20 plus years. It's just a neighborhood I'm excited to still live in and love and love to represent. That is amazing. And you're right. It is such a cute little quaint neighborhood and the architecture is very special there. And it's, you're in every, like everything is right there. You can just stroll around and it's all right in your backyard, which I absolutely love about it. And that's what my clients loved about it as well. And that's how we, we ultimately met. What an unfair advantage you have when listing homes of having a landscape and interior design background, because we, we ultimately have to, to design these homes. So they're, so they're Instagrammable. So people fall in love with them online. The standard here in the Bay Area for real estate is incredibly high. And, you know, by the time these homes are put on the market, every time I sit down with potential selling clients, you have to explain, like, how high that bar is and what the expectation is. And often what I'll say to them is, you, you know, you have to consider when you show up on the market, you'll be compared to all the other homes that are out there at the same time. They're all going to be vacant and staged to the gills and totally prepped in some cases, having light renovations done to them, in some cases, even more than light renovations, a lot of landscaping dollars have been spent. So, you know, if you haven't met the same standard, you're going to stand out in a way that's quite unfavorable. But um, I do like this, think that it's, you know, the the average homeowner in the Bay Area or the average buyer has a pretty high sense of design. And, you know, things like Pinterest and Instagram, I mean, high design is now mainstream. I don't think that was really true 30 years ago, but, you know, social media has really changed that and certain tech platforms have really pushed imagery just right to the forefront. So everyone knows who Kelly Worsler is and so forth. Um, so, so yeah, it's, you know, important to turn out a really dialed up looking house. And actually, I find it's interesting this year now that we're dealing with a market that's really shifted in response to these much higher interest rates. You know, it, it isn't the same market from two years ago. And yet I'm finding buyers are, are quite picky today. You know, they're, they're looking at monthly payments that are considerably higher than they were two years ago for the same property. And um, you can imagine when you're looking at, you know, at kind of what, what it costs to buy the same house today that it was, you know, two years ago, Buyers want to get everything they can for, for that amount of money. And, you know, they're very choosy right now. So I feel in a way the onus to turn out a very good looking listing is almost higher now, even though the return on the investment may not be quite where it was. I, I, I see homes getting passed over if they haven't met, um, you know, a certain degree of standard. I found when we were at what a 2% rate, it really didn't matter it didn't matter. You would have people just banging down the door to get in to write an offer. And now to your point, if there's one little flaw about it, the entire market just completely passes it over. And 
And it's never been so true. You only have one first day on the market. And if you don't nail it, you're just dead in the water. And then you could be sitting on the market for two, three months easily. I, I literally have an email open just before we jumped on this. I was crafting an email to a client who has a one bedroom condo and it's 22,000 to prep it, to fully prep it for market and to try to sell that as a, is a concept of, yeah, we have to refinish floors and, and change and paint and change out your light fixtures and stage it and just make it look just immaculate for people to ultimately people make decisions on emotion. So they have to fall in love with this thing online. And then we, then we have to like coax them into coming in to actually seeing it and then falling in love with it again. And then, hopefully proceeding with an offer. I talk a lot about that first step of falling in love, which is the online presentation. I talk to my clients a lot about, you know, what I'm ultimately shooting for in my head, my kind of ultimate strategy are those photos because that's your first opportunity to capture somebody's interest. And so I'm really thinking, I mean, I grew up with a father who's a commercial photographer. So I, I have, uh, I've been behind the camera a lot myself and I think about composition and lighting and all of that um, important, all those ingredients that go into a great shot, you know, which is the other piece of the presentation. It's not just, is the wallpaper in the right place? Are the pink colors right? Is the stager on point? Uh, you know, is the natural light showing off and, you know, are the, is the hardware perfection, all those things, but also what are the shots that I'm looking to end up with that I know are really going to capture somebody. Um, and that's so important because if you miss them, then, <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how much money you've spent, you, you know, the opportunity has gone. So in the carousel of photos, you have one money shot, you have one, they're going to scroll through and you have that one moment like what's that one photo that encapsulate encapsulates the whole experience of that the home to get them to click on it and look at the next photo? That's right. I would say I spend probably way too much time on that. And going back to my photographer, it's and you go back to your photographer, you're like, hey, can we can we color correct this? Can we adjust this? Can we crop that? And you're just trying to get it. You got to nail it. I mean, we're at very high price points. These are. It's people are picky and they're paying a lot for the money right now. And so it's, you've really got to do your due diligence to, to make them fall in love with it. One of my, it's funny with my photographer I've used now for years, uh, her and I always have like kind of a running joke thread of like, when you see those photos of whoever shot the photo, they're in like the mirror or the toilet seats up. And I always like screenshot it. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is this? <laughs> I know. I know. There are certain houses that are incredibly hard to shoot that way. Like the glass houses that, you know, have reflections everywhere. I'm like, I'm glad that's not actually my job to take the pictures, <laughs> figure that out. But yeah. And well, unfortunately you see, you know, agents occasionally out there shooting on their iPhone and oh, terrible, such a disservice. It's such a disservice. It used to really drag me down in the early years to feel, you know, there's such a, a, a there's such a wide spectrum of levels of service out there. And um, when you see it being done poorly, it just I feel like we all hang our heads in shame. Um, and I had to kind of it was another that was another learning experience for me was 
not to feel dragged down by those doing not a great job on behalf of their clients, but to see the opportunity to deliver a very high level experience, um, you know, from first conversation all the way through to close of escrow and just, you know, sees that as a, a challenge and opportunity. If you look at enough listings, you can definitely see the agent's signature on each of them. And then like we would, as a team, collect them and say, hey, we, I really like this. I really like this. And we started choosing and picking the best ideas. And it's rather than like pushing one party down or lifting another up, it's like, how could we improve our our business and make it better, a better experience for our clients? Um, one of the just nice in the sidebar, nice details that you have, and we actually have adopted years ago, is we have little note cards throughout the whole property to just continue to tell the story. Because a lot of times, I know for my, I have a lot of buyers, I have a lot of CEO buyers, they don't want the narrative. They just want to go do it on their own. And so it's a nice way to let them know what's happening in the room or with the home when you're, where you're not in their ear and they're getting the information. And it's such an elegant way to present it. And actually my clients commented about your home of, oh, it was really nice. There was like a list of when it was built, when this was remodeled, when this was painted. And they're like, oh, this is just so helpful. I've had a lot of buyers come through my homes and, and say exactly that. Like, hey, the placards are really helpful. Thank you. Um, and it is true because you can hear that information from your agent. You can read it online, but it's more... It's going to really hit more when you're standing there at the moment where that element is relevant in the home. And often also I'll be very sure to, um, you know, do little marketing cards for elements that are unseen in the home that may get missed. Um, You know, expensive infrastructure upgrades. Hey, this house has all electric heating and cooling, you know, unless you walk around and see the compressor outside and know what to look for. You may not know that that was a you know thirty forty thousand dollar upgrade, um, an incredibly comfortable home that's incredibly energy efficient. So, you know, it, again, it's just back to serving that seller and making sure that all of their smart investments and improvements and upgrades are really known. Um, but I think people find it like a fun little discovery along the way when they're actually touring the home to be like, oh, look at that! This is where you turn on the you know, oh, the hood drops down from the ceiling. How cool. Um, So I think it makes the the touring experience more fun. And especially like you said, if they're, um, you know, going without their agent, without the benefit of an agent, you know, pulling all that information out for them. It's really useful. My aha moment with that was probably five, six years ago. There was a home I was touring with a client and there was a note that said, it was from the seller and it said, um, our dog Baxter loved laying in this corner in the late afternoon um, to catch the sun rays. And it, it just, it was one of those, it created such an emotional experience. And my clients were like, oh, that's super sweet. And then uh, you can almost see the shift of the client, the buyer looking at the property and feeling the warmth of the home through that experience. A smart agent to do that because... It's it's story. We're just talking about storytelling, like you said. It's narrative, and um, that's what homes are about. Ultimately, they become folded into our life narratives, and they're such personal spaces where our lives unfold. And so, 
you know, I do feel ultimately that we're we're storytellers, really. And um, whether it's visually to get the essence of that home through, just like that little moment you just described, I think that's so smart and so important because that's really people are looking to project their own lives onto the home. And sometimes you can cue up a moment or a you know a little fantasy for them with just the right imagery. It's so true. And each home has its own provenance. It has its own story. And if we can sit with our sellers and and extract that out of them, and to your point, and distill it down and really find that, like, what are the words to describe this? I had a home in the city. This is so bizarre. It was bought by the great, great, great grandfather for, if I remember correctly, it was three gold pieces. And that's literally how we started the copy. And I had so many neighbors come in. They're like, that is the most bizarre thing I've ever heard. I just wanted to see the home. Like, the, you mean the consideration for the home was three three gold, whatever? Yeah, I like, guess it was like way back, obviously, but way back in the day. And and I don't know if it was, I'm not sure like how it came, if it was a, a gamble or like what the what the deal, but they wound up paying three pieces of gold for for this house. I love that. I love that. Every home has a, a cool story, and 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 I I agree. I think we are ultimately we're storytellers. We're so many things. We don't just. It's not just filling out a contract. We're so many aspects of it, and being a, on the listing side and being a listing agent is so vastly different than a buyer's agent. In my mind, this sort of circles back to the conversation around being um, sort of. A, deciding to be a neighborhood specialist because that's really what I did set out to do with my business. And and I do find there's a reinforcing um, aspect to the storytelling sometimes extends beyond the, the, you know, property lines and it's storytelling about the neighborhood or the community immediately around the property. And so um, I have found that <clears throat> having that really local on the ground in the neighborhood knowledge base comes into play when I'm telling these stories about properties because it's not always just the finishes, the people who lived there, you know, how how that um, ADU came to be developed. But, um, you know, it can be, oh, this amazing Halloween parade that happens, you know, one street over or, you know, so um, I, I have found that I'm I'm at my best, I'm able to talk beyond just the confines of the physical property, but about the neighborhood experience as well. And I think that's very valuable to buyers. To your point, even earlier, you went to college there and you just happened to stumble upon it. If you were slightly different, but shopping for homes and this was in your price range, you would then go explore it. And so if somebody can guide you as to why this neighborhood is actually special and different and unique compared to the one immediately next to it, it is such a such a benefit for that for that buyer to learn to learn more of the nuances. So to kind of give context, so you've lived in that neighborhood for 25 years. Of those 25, how many years were in or have been in real estate? 12. The last 12 have been in real estate. So the, the and pri- prior to that, I was pretty much running my own design company. And um, just a little bit, my first career was actually in advertising and marketing. So, Oh my goodness, you have all the best key elements to get into this business. (laughs) 
It's funny, and um, it wasn't even my idea to get into real estate. It was actually my agent's idea. Um, I was chatting with him, and he's like, you know, you should go get your license. It had never occurred to me. But, uh, yeah, in hindsight, those are two nice toolkits to come to the business with. And um, and actually, it's funny. I knew, of course, I'd be using my design skills quite a lot, and that makes me really happy because I that's – Something I love to have the creative brain process always humming in the background. I didn't really quite understand how important the marketing background was going to be and how critical, you know, I mean, it does make sense. But when I was getting started, it just hadn't really dawned on me that that was another big arsenal of know-how that is important. I mean, you or you learn it on the job, one or the other, but... Um, you know, I think that helped helped me get, you know, get off the ground. I mean, I came to real estate in, in my mid-40s, you know, number three career. And um, I was worried about being too old to start something new or, you know. And I've always said to people, how amazing that as a woman in her mid-40s, I can just start, you know, completely from ground zero and have, you know, a really nice long runway ahead of me and not apologize once for my age. In fact, age, frankly, was really an asset. Um, life experience, not being, um, you know, having fallen immediately off the turnip truck, but having fallen, you know, a couple decades ago, um, I think is uh, a good thing in an agent. But I've always felt uh, gratitude to the real estate for being there for me and not making me feel bad about being 44 in whatever, 2012. <laughs> Similar to you, I had uh, multiple past lives. I didn't get into the business until I was 40 myself. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. I really positioned myself as, you know, I think if you can just be confident enough about things within the business, you can bypass a lot of the times because it seems like you have this whole backing of experience. They just assume you've been doing this a while. So you just have to know what you're talking about. And that really accelerates. But the last stat I actually heard, there's like two and a half million agents in the nation. And obviously we're self-employed, but it's the actually it's the biggest industry with self-employed women in the US, which is amazing. It's amazing. I mean, that is really what's unique about it. Not only self-employed women, but probably who on um, you know that the average age probably extends much higher than in other you know you know self-employed industries, um, and I, I think that's just pretty remarkable, and and just the potential to earn a, a very good living you know is is um, it's fairly unique I think to real estate. I would say, and and I I would also agree. I I feel. There is an there is an advantage with with agents because we do run our own businesses, and so it's almost counterintuitive. But it's almost like the more careers that you've had, similar to you, it's it gives you more strengths to come into this field. It's like with you, it's like you have like this marketing brain, and you have this visual brain, and you have the understanding of photography, and so when you approach a listing for the first time, some of this stuff just almost intuitively is already set up for you, which I think is great. It's amazing. Yeah, I know. It's so interesting because people come from all different walks, you know, and I'm always curious to see how 
other agents employ completely different other skill sets that they came in with, you know, come from science or technology. And um, and then there are those that grew up in the business and maybe, you know, are second gen realtors and just, you know, absorbed it through osmosis from a parent um, and learned, learned, learned it that way. So it's pretty fun because then you do get to see, you know, we each express ourselves differently, you know. I, there's some good joke. I'm not remembering it now, but you know, it's one of those like how to screw in a light bulb kind of jokes, but about how real, like there's like a million, you know, there's 12 different ways to do the same avid basically, or whatever it is. 100%. Um, we all do it differently. Yeah. It's fun to watch everyone kind of have their own methodology and approach. And um, I, I just have high regard for everybody who does things differently than me. And it looks effortless and totally beautiful. And I'm like, Oh, Look at that. <laughs> I find with this industry, for the most part, people are incredibly collaborative and they're willing to like this, they're willing to sit down and share. And so I find that just to be really cool and very inspiring. But then within that, there's, you can just, they give you all these beautiful nuggets of like, I do this to be successful. I do this, I do this, I do this. Don't do this. This will blow up. And if you just start doing those things one by one, it's you build your own repertoire of these experiences as well, but you can grow at a very accelerated pace versus if you were just to start a widget company from scratch, it's a very different experience because those businesses you're competing with, with this other person, like ultimately you and I compete against each other only if we're going against the same listing or, or bidding on the same buyer or writing on the same property. But the rest of the time we have to collaborate. And once we're in contract together, we have to collaborate. Like we have to facilitate the need. So I, I, I feel, I always feel very blessed with our community as a whole. It's just a very cool place to be. On that note, I felt very um, in gratitude to those who were already in the business when I came in knowing absolutely nothing. And um, folks that were willing to sit down with me, explain things on the contract, you know, um, get you through those tough early moments and, you know, give, give good advice. And I've just, you know, even before I became an agent, but just interviewing friends who are in the business, you know, all of that info share up front, I've always felt, okay, now, you know, I'm paying that back, but I'm still asking questions too. I mean, that's, what's cool about it. You know, you, you never exhaust all of the possible challenges coming your way. And so you develop, you know, your close friend, close knit community where you can reach out for, help with some whole new thing you've never come across. I mean, this year there's been plenty of new things coming over the, the bow this year that have been new challenges. Um, so, you know, I, I do feel like we all lean on each other a lot, or I certainly have to lean on others to help. And I just have always felt like, you know, there's enough business to go around. So yes, sometimes we're in direct competition, but um I also believe in good fit, you know, and there's only going to be really probably one, maybe two good fits for a client. They've got to choose that good fit. That might not be me, you know. So I'm I'm I, I guess I learned that in that those early years where I learned to absorb the losses. Uh, I got, you know, in the letting go sometimes and knowing that loss was just going to be part of this day to day work. Um, also getting comfortable with. But there's always a new opportunity, you know couple of days later. So there's just that flow, that constant flow. It's a roller coaster. 
it's really it's really hard to not attach yourself to the the big wins or the big losses and and kind of stay in that that even that even ground because we joked about it just before we hit record but we're we're hired and fired all the time and as soon as the property closes we're unemployed and we're, we're literally going out and looking for new a new piece of business and so we're we're constantly working our tails off and and it's some days it's it's definitely it's hard to stay positive and upbeat when you when you lost something but the reality is you didn't lose it because you didn't ever actually have it in the first place it's just all the it's usually your ego just is the one that's getting dinged that's true two losses in a row on the same day is it is that's 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 grounds for you know some wound licking woe is me feeling i i mean I don't even, I don't know if anyone ever gets totally past it. I feel like it depends on what you do with it. So two, the the two things I like to do anytime, anytime anything goes good and anything goes bad, I like to ask myself two questions. What did I do that works really well that I'll do the next time? And what can I do better the next time? And, and so the reason I asked those two specifically is because they're both positioned as positive, positive, whereas it's kind of like what you think of the most expands. So if you're like, like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Your mind is saying, do this, do this, do this. And you steer into that thing you don't want to hit. But if you reframe it in your brain of what can I do better next time, your brain is already putting it in a positive place. And it fits perfectly with that big sale that you did that was amazing and successful. You can go back and reflect like, what can I do that worked amazing and then what can I do better the next time? And it works equally the same as that big flop that you made. Yeah. Well, I like that too, where you're applying that exercise both to wins and losses. But, you know, because on the win side, I do think sometimes agents get to a certain level of busy where they're not they're not doing that exercise on the wins. They're just saying, okay, on to the next. Okay, on to the next and not coming back and revisiting strategy, thinking what was good, what wasn't, you know, what could be improved. And, and so their practices, I think, tend to um, stagnate a bit because they're not reflecting in that same way. And I think, uh, so I like that you said that because again, you know, it's a competitive industry. We do have to all keep evolving to serve our clients as best as we can, but also, you know, other people are, are evolving along the way too. You got to, we all have to move our, our own individual practices forward. And sometimes I see people do that sort of stagnate and just churn it out sort of approach. So I like, I'm always trying to, particularly when it comes to the visual presentation of a home, you know, I'm always constantly trying to think of something new because ultimately design is intended to be copied and interpreted, you know, borrowed from, you know, reimagined. And so so I'm all, often trying to think of like, okay, what's this new, what, what can I shake up and do new? And, you know, you know, even if it's just, okay, we've used that light fixture, you know, I think we're, we're going to hang that one up and migrate over here. But to me, that's, what's fun about it too, is, you know, okay, how can, you know, and same, you know, being in the neighborhood, I have a lot of the same people come through my houses and see them one after the other. And let's say a year's time, 
And so you want to even deliver a fresh experience for those people who aren't even your client, but a prospective buyer. And, you know, you don't want to just deliver the same experience each time. I mean, A, you've got to interpret the uniqueness of the home, but B, you've got to, you've got to keep it fresh. And uh, so it's fun. It's funny. My hardest challenges that I've had thus far are I sold a property, the buyer I stayed in contact with, we had good rapport. They hired me to resell it. And now all the previous photos and copy and all of that live online. And so now how do I reposition it better than the last time? That is such a hard nut to crack of how do I make it look like they've did, they've done all these amazing improvements and it's now a better home because ideally you want to sell it for more money in a very short period of time. And it's like, how do, how do we, how do we approach this? And it's, I actually love that the complexity of that challenge of remarketing it and like tweaking the design, tweaking the paint and changing out key fixtures and just making it feel like an improved space because you know, darn well, people are buyers are going to go, let's see what it looked like when it just sold. What did they do? That's different. When you first got the call, that's where you started too. And yeah, it's back, it's back to what I have to tell a fresh story now, even, you know, and even if it sold two years ago and we've had plenty of, you know, shorter hold turnover homes in the last several years, just, I think the pandemic, you know, upended so many patterns of, you know, where people live, how they live in their homes, how they're commuting, how they're not commuting, that we've just seen shorter holds. I've certainly seen in my own business, I've resold quite a few homes in the last two years that were held for very short periods of time. And um, yeah, I mean, that's where my face lights up because that's, to me, the the most fun kind of challenge. Um, Yeah. So, you know, it's like... um, I mean, sometimes I think about lighting as like the accessory, you know, it's kind of like, okay, this house needs a new outfit and we're going to, you know, maybe we'll start with the accessories and then move on out. But, you know, you, you pick those, you know, it only has to be two or three moments that like where you have a real design moment, but you need to have those. And <laughs> those are going to, you know, probably be featured in those, you know, top five photos that you're going to use heavily. And, um, yeah. And, and sometimes it's just all start, all the inspiration will start with a single light fixture. I, I often find, or one paint color just kind of gets you in a whole new direction. It's funny. I, I hadn't thought about that, but I, it's usually one thing there's, there's something, maybe it's a tree in the backyard that the, the picture window or the window from the kitchen just perfectly looks over and that just sets this theme. And it's like, you're right. Like I never, I, I guess I hadn't thought of it. I had a house where we changed the house numbers and we actually invested in some more expensive, beautiful bronze numbers. They were super elegant, a little bit bigger, quite hefty They're, um But as soon as they went up, I mean, paint had gotten freshened. Um, but as soon as those new house numbers went up, the personality of the house changed immediately. And it was pretty fascinating but but the those numbers drove kind of the direction of a lot of hardware decisions lighting you know it really the personality just came right out at you know at the curb it was clear how we were going to treat the rest of the project so that was kind of surprising actually but it was pretty pretty noticeable 
Um, but it's so fun, those discoveries of what, you know, suddenly is really enhancing a home. And it can be something as simple as, you know, I think a lot of people don't even think about the house numbers, but they're, they're one of those early opportunities to really grab somebody at the curb, the drive-by, you know, they're going to drive by and decide whether they want to come back on Sunday. <laughs> you have very few reason, ways to capture them in the quick drive-by. So um, think about house numbers. That's that's one piece of advice because I think they're pretty important. It's funny. We I obviously wanted to dig in and really talk about how you became a neighborhood like the neighborhood go-to listing agent and we're talking about marketing, but I, I think there's a, there's a real, there's a lot somebody can glean from that. And it, it's really, it comes down to the home is the showpiece and it's not about, it's not about you. It's about the neighborhood and it's about this showcasing this home. And I, I genuinely feel like your passion is coming through on the design and the shape and the direction and how it looks. And so when you meet that neighbor, they're feeling your enthusiasm towards this home. And and I know if I were selling a home and I wasn't in this industry, I would want to work with the person who's really enthusiastic and excited and they're excited about the neighborhood. They're excited about the home. They're excited about my home. They want to learn What's special about that home? And and I, I think it really humanizes the whole experience. It's not, oh, we just put it on the MLS and I'll get you the highest price. Don't worry about it. And that's it. It's not. It's such an emotional experience for for these for clients. And to your point, people live, you lived in the same neighborhood for 25 years. You have this very special vested interest. In, in the you have an opportunity to curate your own neighborhood and and I can I I can absolutely 100% see how neighbors they they come into that world or not even neighbors just somebody who's visiting from San Francisco and they're like oh my goodness like this woman loves the neighborhood and she loves what she does it does make for kind of a I mean if a geographical focus I do feel is ultimately kind of a more efficient business in certain ways because you're traveling less to to get to all of your business. You're developing your marketing plan as kind of a, a simpler exercise um, because, you know, I really focus, I have to focus all of my marketing efforts of my own business on very local media um, and actually primarily really the public schools where my kids grew up going were, you know, largely, you know, nice marketing opportunities for me. I mean, and also wonderful in that I was supporting the PTAs of all of those schools along the way with my marketing dollars. But um, just, you know, and it's not like a hard sell about real estate when you're on a school campus, of course, you know, it's about being a PTA parent and a, a member of the community. And oh, by the way, I'm, I'm in real estate, if you have real estate needs, but that's kind of last when you're marketing at schools. But I have to say that it's been a critical piece of my marketing mix. And um, but I haven't really had I haven't gone to like broader, you know, lead generation type marketing programs just because, you know, and then once you get listings, if that's what you're after, your signs become such a big part of your marketing and um, having that community see your signs throughout the year is so important. And to have that repetition is so critical. Um, so I, I, not everyone has a neighborhood that they want to specialize in or, you know, um, 
And then I think it, you know, is more about, okay, well, what, what are the communities you're connected to and how do you reach them? But, but the geographic one, you know, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ways that it becomes a, a kind of a nice self-reinforcing business. And, and I think that's something that I saw as an opportunity early on. Um, and it, ha- it has worked that way for me. Sounds it. <laughs> it definitely sounds it. Clients all the time on the street. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're saying, oh, my friend's looking. Are you open for new clients? And, you know, just like you're over at the produce store. And next thing you know, you've got an appointment to meet somebody. So I I love that about, you know, being able to keep it really local. (laughs) It does make it very easy when it's literally in your backyard. You're like, sure, I'll be over. I could just walk over. (laughs) A very different experience. You ask my family, there's a flip side to that, which is you can't go to dinner. Mom, we can't go anywhere, you know, because <laughs> I get run into clients all the time. And, you know, my kids are like sitting there smiling, tapping their feet. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, if you're, it's again, 25 years in the neighborhood with the, with all these other businesses that built into it, I, you are probably like the the mayor of of Rockridge. Really not that, but I, I consider myself a, a fixture now to the neighborhood. You know, when I think about how long I've been here, it's uh, kind of amazing. And so, do you do any uh, direct mail to the neighborhood, or um, any like online marketing, or do you have any other like layers of strategy? I do. Um, we have a wonderful newsletter that our brokerage puts together. So I have, um, and and the majority of my newsletter base are local Rockridge residents. Um, and then I do do some direct mail, but I, I don't do the same amount of direct mail that I see other agents doing. I frankly have a little bit of a resource um, con- conservation issue with doing a lot of mailers that I feel like mostly get tossed. Um, so I try, you know, I try to just be thoughtful with my mailers and I, um, you know, I pretty much only go out like twice a year, which I know some people would say is not enough. Um, you know, cause you, you should be reaching people in multiple mediums is what a lot of people believe, but I have tried to think about resource consumption along the way too. And um, if I have an, uh, you know, a more efficient electronic means of reaching that person, I'll lean on that certainly more often. Um, so, you know, but I'm not doing always just sold, just listed postcards. And um, maybe that's, you know, maybe my business would look different if I if I were. Um, but I do like to do kind of like a six month update, like, hey, instead of individually letting you know what I've just sold or just listed I'm going to show you what my last six months looked like in one kind of oversized mailer. And, and then I feel like it's actually more impactful because there are, you know, seven properties that I can talk to that are all within, you know, a neighborhood confined. And that might be a more powerful message to that possible seller down the road anyway. We're in the Bay Area. So we have, it's a very dense population. With that, there's a lot of realtors. And within that, these clients in these special neighborhoods, they're getting a ton of pieces. And to your point, like, and I say this, I've talked to my team about this. It's like, I don't want to print landfill. Like that's not, it's not good for us as a, as a a world. Like I don't, I just don't want to do that. And so we really scaled back our 
male as well. And then the big thing we do, and, and this really pushed us to clean up our database, is everything gets handwritten. And this way, it's to that person. And it's special. It's like it's like getting a birthday card from a friend. When it's handwritten, it lands way different than a machine-printed postcard from your dentist of like, you know, happy birthday. And it's you look at it, you're like, cool, and you toss it. But if it's handwritten, you slow down, you open it, you look at it, you you take a minute with it. And so to your point, I even like the online experience and the marketing is like, how do we slow people down and, and create an, an experience and not just, not just showboat, you know, like, like th- these are, I just listed this. I just sold this. I'm awesome. I'm doing this, but, but actually meeting them on a different level, which is hard. Um, very hard. Yeah. Well, and actually one of, one of my local media outlets, which, um, I, I like is that, um, cause it's, it's me inserting my message, but within the larger construct of, um, it's the Rockridge newsletter. So we have, we happen to live in a neighborhood where there's a, a local newsletter published by the RCPC. And, um, so, you know, it's all community, you know, things that are happening in our community. So there's, you know, a mo- it's a monthly, um, or it comes out like 11 times a year, but, um, you know, it's, it's not just me. It's, you know, it's all the things that are happening in the community and, oh, and, you know, here's what I'm up to over here, but it's in the context of the broader community. And so that's, that's been a wonderful outlet for me to kind of insert my little message, but be part of, you know, a, a little local paper that's got, you know, lots of other realtors in there too. And, um, but, you know, great, you know, real content for people to digest along with hopefully my, my message too. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and to relate it back to what we were talking about with the homes, it's sure anybody can say, oh, here's four really great walls and a nice roof. But when, when you start telling the story through images and colors in, in these different layers, and we do that through these different vehicles of being a part of this, this newsletter you're right. It lands different and it's, and then it becomes, Oh, by the way, and I do this if you ever need anything. And then that's, that's when, cause the reality is outside of COVID people stay in their homes on a national average for 14 years. Like you can't beat them over the head with, are you ready to sell? Are you ready to buy? How about now? <laughs> well, also people are going to pick up a, a newsletter, pro- hopefully multiple times. Like it's going to, sit on their, sit on their couch or their coffee table. And, you know, you might get more than one, you know, you're certainly going to get more um, physical time in their hands, whether they're looking at the page of your ad, but, you know, a postcard, (laughs) they look at it maybe, and it goes, we all know where it ends up. So, um, you know, I I try to think about the life cycle of what the message is sitting on and, um, you know, and back to the school, you know, some schools will allow you to have your marketing message there on campus. And that can be really another valuable way to get your, you know, kind of just a little brand hit here, you know, coming and going from your local school. I've, I've, I think that's been great for my business certainly. And I see a lot of other agents doing that too. Um, you know, every, every day they're walking there with their kids or, you know, in elementary years. I really, I genuinely appreciate how you took a different approach, that longer approach 
really focusing on the relationship, but it sounds like just really focusing on the actual community itself and, and building from there and it's and parlaying it into more and more business through the years. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, this is something that's been interesting to me because I see other agents who are very dominant in other neighborhoods or also in my neighborhood, for instance. And, um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, there's the individual client you're working with or the individual home you'll be listing. But then you also think about your business on aggregate and, you know, like you, you have to think about, okay, what is the story my business tells when I go to interview for that next listing and they want to see the homes that I've sold in the last 12 months or whatever. Um, So I, I think about um, it comes down. I think sometimes being, if you want to specialize, you also have to get comfortable referring business out. Um, because you're sculpting a business that you want to tell a very particular story. And um, there's a saying that somebody told me, this is years ago, but that, uh, oh, that um, saying, I, I can't remember it now. It's like something about saying no versus saying yes. Because, you know, we're, we're in sales. We're, we're basically trained that like every muscle of your body says, yes, go get it. Um, <laughs> it's true. But I've actually learned the power in not, I don't want to say saying no, because I never say no to somebody. What I say is, oh, I might not be the best fit for you. Let me introduce you though. Let me get you to the best agent who to serve you. Um, and I mean that sincerely because I'm, I'm trying to build a particular business, but also I, and therefore I spend a lot of my time touring in Rockridge. I don't tour a lot of El Cerrito, Albany, you know, I'm, you know, I spend, we all have the same number of hours to spend each week. So I'm not an expert in a lot because I've chosen to really dial down here. So I, I think saying you, you have to get comfortable saying no and referring out if you want to cultivate a very kind of, um, you know, specialty business. And that's not, and some people don't want that, but uh, I have, that, that took me a while to figure out too, because you suddenly you get distracted if you're saying yes to things that are outside of your general area of focus. And then kind of next thing you know, the, the focus gets lost. It's really funny that you and I met because I wrote an offer in, in Oakland, which is east of San Francisco. The, my business, I focus exclusively on San Francisco and I have a caveat Unless it's a really close friend or family who needs help in Oakland, I'll help because I lived there for a decade. I'm familiar with it. I know the areas and I can kind of guide them through. Um, but they kind of know it's a different, it's not my backyard. It's not where I necessarily am a hundred percent embedded. And so that's, that's how you and I even got to meet. But you're right, especially in the, in the early days, in the beginning when, you're a salesperson programmed to say yes, and I can do it. But you have to come from a place of abundance and saying, you know, I can do it, but it doesn't serve me long-term or it's really taxing. The Bay Area is pretty concentrated, but it also takes forever to get anywhere. So it's like, sure, I can help you in Silicon Valley, but I only have to budget two hours to drive there and two hours to drive back. I just lost four hours of my day. So it's, it's more cost effective to refer it to a superstar in that market. It's going to have seen all the comps and yeah, you know, it's like, I believe in showing up, you know, you have to fake it till you make it in the beginning. There's just no getting around that. 
that that is true. And and you have to be soliciting so much sideline advice from other agents to double check your work. And um, but but once you've gotten up to speed and have your own you know practice going, um, yeah. That the idea there. I just think that I, I always think if if I were this client interviewing me, am I the best person? Do I know all of the comps from the last twelve months? Can I speak to them? Was I in any of those houses? And you know, I try to be very sincere about, I know what I'm good at, but I don't, uh, I, I don't retain, a, you know, a huge knowledge base of every neighborhood and what's being sold there at all. If anything, I'm the opposite end of that spectrum. So I try to honor that. And, um, and, and I find that that art of um, pointing a client in the right direction and, and saying, you know, a polite no, but let me get you to the person who would be absolutely perfect for this. There, you win so much trust and favor in that act of saying, it's actually not me, but let me get you to that person. I think a lot of people are are pleasantly surprised by the, you know, the sincerity, the transparency of that. Um, and back to that, a place of abundance. I, I know that I'll, I'll get another call for something that is in my wheelhouse, so I don't need, need to hold on to that. Um, you know, that, I mean, that's not what I've, I'm not looking to, you know, break the volume bank. I'm looking to have a concentration. Um, and so every agent's out there with a different set of objectives. But And I feel that genuinely, I think twofold, it's so very important going into the business or even at any point in the business to really evaluate who are you as an individual and then who or what does your business represent and where do you want to concentrate your energy? And it's otherwise... Again, we're business owners. Most of us have some level of ADD and we can run this thing in any direction. But most of the time, true power comes from really refining down to those. To your point, it's like one specific neighborhood and just drilling super deep into it, um, which I love. So that people can very easily say, oh, this is my friend, Sean, he, you know, here's what he's special at, you know, so when other people can give your little elevator pitch for you, you know, that, I think that's what you hope for, right? Like you've, you've, you've gotten your message really um, well branded into somebody else's brain. And, and that, I think that's easier to do if, if that message is a pretty succinct, <laughs> this is what I do all the time, as opposed to, oh, I sell up here, over here. I also sell through there. Again, I'm not disparaging those that have a very broad. Um, I just think that it presents more marketing challenges to have to have to communicate that you do a, a wider business in multiple areas, and um, and that that maybe is a slightly less memorable thing that someone would then you know potentially retell to a friend of theirs. So you know, it's kind of back to storytelling. Like, is my business easily story told by somebody else? You're right. I mean, I think a a very simple drill for agents listening is pick five agents, pick five agents and just in a, in a sentence, write who they are and what they do, where they do it. And if you can't like reflect on that for your own business, are you like, is, is your target so huge? And the reason I specifically focused on San Francisco is it's, it's seven by seven miles with, within that there's over a hundred neighborhoods but with me, I focused heavily in, in my early days on buyers and buyers kind of govern where you look. 
And so I had to become an expert in, in the city as a whole, because a lot of people will, they can get priced out of one neighborhood. So they'll look in another, or they need to be in the Silicon Valley corridor so they can commute faster down to Apple. And so knowing, I just had to know, I had to have this, this encyclopedia of knowledge for this, this one space. And so that's how and why I approached it. And then my niche was, it just heavily became a lot of tech was my, my core base. And then through that, I was able to kind of churn up the referral wheel through these, these rather large tech companies. And then knowing there's common threads within that, that a lot of them want to live in this neighborhood. They want to be close to the shuttles. Where are the shuttles? Are those close to Muni? How do they get there? And so to your point, you just have to really keep, you know, refining and refining and refining. Um, Maxi, this was amazing. Our time flew by. Um, so we're going to wrap, but you are welcome to come on anytime. I always enjoy chatting with you. I had such a nice time. It was really fun. I'd probably say yes to coming back, which is surprising. I didn't, didn't know that I would feel that way at the end. Able <laughs> <laughs> to chat with as always. I appreciate you. Um, and I will, we'll keep you posted on when this, when this gets published. Wonderful. I hope you have a great weekend ahead.